This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is contacttalkradio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on tunein.com, hang.fm, and upsnap mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to Living Fearlessly with your host, Lisa McDonald. My mama told me when I was young, we're all on superstars. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so very much for joining me, rejoining me here again on this lovely Friday. My name is Lisa McDonald, host of Living Fearlessly with the Contact Talk Radio Network. Listenership spans to 145 countries, 220 TV radio terrestrial satellites, and the potential for millions of iTunes downloads. Once again, I'm joined by yet another phenomenal guest. My guest today is going to be living fearlessly with me, living life to the fullest in the digital age. We're going to be talking today about my guest, Brad Zolis. So who is Brad? Well, we talk a lot about the generational divide these days, especially how millennials are really shaking things up. And most of us are still trying to figure out why this is still an issue. Well, get ready. Today's guest built the very first dot-com agency to go public in an IPO on NASDAQ back in the 90s. And he was facing that first wave of digitally savvy generation X and Y, and at the same time, he was forced to change the way he managed people. Our guest today is Brad Zolis. He is the foremost authority on millennials and workforce performance strategies. Author of the award-winning international bestseller, Liquid Leadership, Brad is a former C-level executive of the publicly traded dot-com agency K2 Design, Inc., that he co-founded in 1993. But that is not the whole story. Brad is a serial entrepreneur and has founded over eight companies. He is a creative director, award-winning author, keynote and speaker, and a publisher, and an executive business coach. Brad has been featured in Forbes and Inc. Magazine, The Huffington Post, New York Magazine, Advertising Age, to name a few, along with television, radio, and podcast appearances on CBS and other media outlets. Mr. Zolis is also a TEDx alum speaker and a subject matter expert, SME, for the American Management Association, creating their leadership development curriculum for the next generation. And last summer... Tony Robbins, that's right, the Tony Robbins had Brad teach a webinar on working with millennials for his business mastery graduates. Today on Living Fearlessly, Brad is going to share his big secret to getting past fear and thinking big. Wow, Brad, what a repertoire. Congratulations, and how are you, my friend? Very good, Lisa. Thank you so much for having fun. And as you're reading that, I started to realize the older we get, the more <laughs> on our resume. <laughs> 
Well, what a phenomenal resume it is. And, uh, you know, I oftentimes hear that when my guests are joining me. They're like, wow, I did all that? Really? I accomplished that? you got to be kidding me. So, anyway, I just want to say congratulations on all your ongoing success. You're truly a rock star in the world of what you do. And I uh, couldn't be more grateful and humbled to have you joining myself and the listeners today on Living Fearlessly. So why don't we just dive right in, Brad? I, You know, I'm always interested initially with the inception of my guest's journey. So where did this all begin for you, and how did this path get navigated? It started uh, in a small town in Pennsylvania. I hate to go back in time all the way to the beginning, but, uh, you know, I, I grew up uh, in the 60s and 70s as a regular kid. Uh, my dad was a little rough. He was the first generation born in America from Hungary. And my mom, uh, she was an American, uh, and we were living in south-central Pennsylvania. And I guess uh, as an only child, uh, I had two major incidences that took place in my life. kind of drove me because uh, I had such bad ear infections, I almost went deaf as a kid. Wow. Yeah, and I remember taking painkillers when I was 10 years old the size of, you know, a giant horse tranquilizers and laying in bed at night and I was crying myself to sleep and finally and my ears were draining anybody who's had the uh, ear drain or whatever they were just horrible uh, uh, moments for a child and at one point I just couldn't take the pain anymore and I just said I reached out to God I didn't even know what God was at that time and I just said hey I, I take this pain away or I'd rather die and wow it took about 10 minutes. The pain got worse and worse and worse. And then all of a sudden there was a pop, a loud pop. And I never mm-hmm. had problems ever again. Wow. So wow. Was, yeah, wow, wow. I, I, was, <laughs> I, I couldn't believe it. And then um, uh, we'll talk about this later. But I started a business at 16. But something strange happened when I was almost uh, – it was 17, uh, late into, it was the beginning of my senior year of high school. I broke my ankle uh, on the football field during band camp. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> so, goodness. It's okay to laugh at that. Who breaks the <laughs> uh, and, and it's my senior year. I have a solo. I have everything. I am a sixth-generation drummer in my family. Um, and I, I'm just, I was depressed. And I remember the night after I broke my ankle, my father was a chiropractor, a doctor, and he's, he's used to being around pain and things like that. And he helped me, you know, when you, when you break an ankle, everybody has to help you. And my father helped me go to the bathroom, tucked me in. My mother was away for the weekend. Uh, and, and I remember laying in bed with my foot propped up. They hadn't even set my leg yet. All they did was give me painkillers after the x-rays. And uh, you can't sleep. You have a throbbing pain. There's still any bone that's broken. And I remember looking up at my the ceiling of my bedroom, and I'm thinking to myself, how did this happen? Mm-hmm. Just before my ankle got broken, everybody in the drum line, we had a break, and we were sitting around, and everybody was bragging about all of the bones they had broken and the scars they had and all these things, and I sat there, and I was very proud of myself and said, I have never broken a single bone in my body. <laughs> and uh, five minutes later, I broke my ankle. We <laughs> uh, horsing around and doing crap or whatever, and somebody, uh-huh. a, a girl actually, pulled my leg out from under me, and I dropped on my 
outer femur, I believe it's called, and it snapped about three inches above the ankle. Oh, my goodness. So laying in bed that night, uh, I thought to myself, did my thoughts create that? Mm -hmm. Did my thoughts go out into the universe, me bragging and saying, I've never broken anything in my life, and suddenly it came back and I broke something, and there was something bigger happening. It was like the universe was talking to me. Mm-hmm. And I started to realize, and I guess that was the real true beginning of my self-help, self-awareness uh, mission for myself, is to wake up to what this really was. Do our thoughts actually create our reality? Uh, does our self-esteem play into us thinking big, dreaming big, or going after something bigger? Uh, do our thoughts uh, play a key role in manifesting? And uh, after 30-some-odd years of this, I can honestly say yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I love the fact that you said that, and I love that even at such a young age you were able to articulate that and connect the dots for yourself because some people, unfortunately, go through life and they never make that connection. You know, thoughts are energy, and we all have a choice every single day as to how we choose to navigate and emit our energy. And we can do it by focusing on the negative, and we can do it alternatively by focusing on the positive. And clearly, you were able to establish that connection, and you took accountability for that, and it made you, you know, think, okay, so maybe there is something to be said about this, and maybe I need to think about the way that I'm dialoguing with, with myself if I want to see different kinds of results show up. So I think that's absolutely stellar on your part thanks well it was, if i can interject yeah you're a baby boomer the way i was raised our parents actually sent us mixed messages it was very interesting my father and my grandfather were both entrepreneurs and my mother and they always would send these messages like you can do anything you put your mind to you're amazing you're creative you have talent and then when you would go out and you would do certain things, they would be like, who the heck are you? You know, <laughs> Mr. Mr. Who do you think you are? And so you would get these mixed messages where as long as you stayed within their paradigm of reality, you were fine with it. And I remember years later after I took my company public on NASDAQ, my dad was an accountant. And I said to him, I said, Dad, you know, he had an accounting business. And I said, Dad, I, I'm my company went IPO, and I, I built this company from scratch with no money, and we have 60 employees now, and we're worth $26 million according to the Wall Street Journal, blah, blah, blah. Do you know, Lisa, my father, you could physically see he could not connect with what I just achieved. Wow. It was outside of his reality bubble. As a matter of fact, he didn't even know what a, an IPO was. He had to look at <laughs> And one of the greatest, yeah, and one of the greatest blessings I ever had, my dad was not a, a kind of guy who would tell me how proud he was. Uh, he said it once in my life, but after he died, I think it was about six months later, I found a copy of my book, Liquid Leadership, an early copy was sitting in his office, and he had highlighted his favorite things that I had said in the book. Beautiful. And that really touched me. So, yeah, I knew my dad got me. Uh, at that level, even if he wasn't all huggy and I'm proud of you. Um, Lovely. And, and, yeah, yeah. Well, why don't you tell us, Brad, you know, at, at the core of who you are and for all that you've navigated and uh, masterminded for yourself here, what truly drives you? What is the driving force? 
it you know it, it's it really boils down to several things. I love communicating just how much the paradigm of the 21st century has changed, and, and I love talking about that to my baby boomer brethren, as well as Gen X and Gen Y, getting them to understand and realize we've all been raised one way, and this new generation has been raised a completely different way. And I guess this frustration started back when I was uh, at K2 in the 90s, and I realized I'm trying to wake everybody up. I'm going, hey, this Internet thing and the people working on it, it's never going to be the same ever again. And Mm -hmm. back then, people did not listen to me. And I actually got into an argument with a guy who was an IT professional in, like, 94, 95, and he told me, why would anybody want to have graphics on their website or video? (laughs) And I just said, we just made a million dollars last year doing just that. What are you talking about? And I realized there was this huge amount of resistance to the reality bubble that was being formed by this new generation we call millennials today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I made it my mission to kind of create uh, this is actually my mission statement, to cr- ignite to ignite game-changing conversations between boomers, Gen X, millennials, and Gen Z as we head into the digital age. Fantastic. Well, I don't think anyone's laughing at you now, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you this. I mean, you started your business at 16. What made you do that? Uh, my father made it so hard to ask for a $20 bill in 1978, 1979, and around there, it was easier to start a business. <laughs> so don't be impressed. <laughs> it was a necessity. And that first business was actually with two buddies of mine from high school, uh, Tom Moyer and Dale Murphy. They had a, a traveling discotheque that they had. Cool. And they... And, hey, you want to be a DJ? So I was doing morning announcements at the high school, so it was just a natural fit with my voice. <laughs> and so Disco Enterprise. And uh, I treated it like the Starship Enterprise. I did posters, <laughs> and I did marketing, the lighting director, and it just had a, a blast with it. And we made a little bit of money. We didn't make tons of money. You know, I was able to put gas in my car and enjoy the, uh, the my first business model I took advantage of, which was the disco era. Uh-huh. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was fun back then. And it's been rock and roll since, right? Uh, you know, I, I, I prefer jazz. <laughs> okay, well, let's go with the jazz then. Because <laughs> uh, I, I realized, uh, actually, this is a metaphor that Rob Hirschfeld, uh, formerly of Dell, and I put together because everybody kept calling me up after uh, K2 because we won't the Arthur Anderson Award for Fostering Innovation Amongst Employees, and they didn't even know what to call it back then. They didn't have a word for workforce culture. So I started getting phone calls from people, and they were basically saying, well, how do you manage this next generation? Because they're all leaving. (laughs) Rob and I, we put our heads together, and we we realized uh, we both love jazz, and uh, I started to realize, I go, you know something? If you want to be in the orchestra pit of 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 an orchestra, a symphony, you have to train the same way, but every performance must be identical. You have a conductor that controls that performance, mm-hmm. and the only person who can do a solo is if you're chosen, 
and then you have to stand up, give your solo, and sit down. And you're being conducted and controlled. And in order to get that first chair, to earn that first chair, you have to be the very best. But once you get the first chair, the only way anybody else can get into that first chair is if that person dies or resigns. So the whole model of an orchestra pit is our old model of management. You always right. have to be leader. Well, jazz is different. The training is similar, but the way it's managed and the leadership is completely different. Anybody who's playing jazz, it usually is in a smaller team of five to nine musicians. They have to make eye contact. Each one gets a solo to show off what they're doing. And every performance is different. And when that performance is over, guess what? They get up and walk away and look for another chair to sit in and play with the next great band. So they're always looking for challenges and better musicians and better people and better situations. And that's really the way millennials work. I love that. I love that metaphor, and I love how you use that to parallel exactly what we're talking about for for some people who are tuning in where this, you know, might be a little bit over their head, or it might help offer them to look at things from a different perspective as opposed to getting entrenched in the, you know, millennial suck mentality. (laughs) So, you know, for the listeners, I mean, myself and Brad, we spoke weeks before we were going live here today. And Brad, you talked about spirituality and business. You know, can you explain to myself and the listeners how the two can, in fact, mix? Well, it's been very interesting, but I always look at it this way. For hundreds and hundreds of years in the business world, you were supposed to leave that wonderful, compassionate side of yourself that made you a good father or a great mother. You were supposed to leave that at home. And when you got to work, you were supposed to somehow become this military-driven, corporate-only, you know, automaton. And today, you have people, and and the real cause and root of this is we no longer have defined boundaries. We're at work, we work, and when we're at home, we just with our kids or have fun with the wife and, and the husband and just hang out and cook. We now have crossed over our time management boundaries because we have a computer in the household, and that's why at work now we don't have defined hours. So that means at the workplace and then fun at home. We mm-hmm. have to now bring all of ourselves to the table and become something greater. And I think millennials are demanding better leadership and humanity in the workplace, and that has to do with spirituality. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about preaching. I'm talking about this air, this this energy, this essence that we used to hide when we walked into a corporate office. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all had this experience. You know, Bob invites us over for a barbecue after we've been working at the same company for 10 years, a whole decade. We finally get to his house, and you find out Bob is really loving and tender with his children, and his wife is, is this wonderful person or vice versa the the husband is amazing and you you begin to get a piece of why this person is driven to do the work they do at work Mm -hmm. but in the past we're expected to keep that out of the business circle like if you were involved in charitable work you weren't supposed to talk about that at work if you were a a really uh let's say a counselor on weekends you weren't supposed to bring that at work and today you have to bring that to work because people need to know well where can we put you where you're going to be not only happy but more dynamic absolutely yeah you know my dad said this he said 
two-thirds of your waking life is going to be spent at work. So you better figure out what the heck you want to do, buddy. And I would say, you know, <laughs> as I got older, I, I had been with very abusive and mean bosses. And I realized it's incredibly dysfunctional. They weren't mm-hmm. involved in realize uh, male or female, they were involved enough to realize that they were dysfunctional, maybe even a little bipolar in the office. And I had the blessing of working at this company called Bogart Crafts. I was the art director there in the 80s. And Glenn Nicholson was the executive vice president who ran that division, that company that was owned by Pioneer Systems. And he would call me into his office. Now, you have to picture this. I'm like 21, 22, 23 years of age. And he always confided in me like I was a peer. Mm-hmm. And it blew me away. I thought, this guy brings so much energy to the job. You know, you didn't want to let him down. That was number one. Number two, I was always trying to be more creative. And I trusted him enough that he wasn't going to just look at me like, what is wrong with you, buddy? Um, I would bring my very best ideas and save them just for the company because he created that environment. And I thought to myself, if I ever have my own company, that's the way I'm going to run it. Let everybody bring out their very best ideas. Don't sit there and boss them around, yell at people, and be sort of this misogynistic jerk. But Mm -hmm. get people, I respect your input. I respect who you are as a person. Your talent is obviously what I need. And this is an environment, a rich environment for you to enjoy yourself and bring the very best of your work here. If nothing works out and you eventually leave, the one thing I always wanted employees or my workforce to remember is this. You work at the very best place on earth. For Lovely. A moment in your life. Yes. Fantastic. If you go on, if you go on my LinkedIn page, uh, you can see, you scroll down, you will see former employees from K2 who just said this was the best environment I've ever worked in um, because that's what I wanted to create, something that was unique, different, and got the very best work out of people. Um, Terrific, Brian. Yeah. Fantastic. No, you're right. You know, yelling at people does not work. Micromanaging people does not work because that instills a lack of trust. That shows that you don't have confidence in people. So then they start to question, well, why am I here in the first place? Right. Well, they said uh, there's something like uh, the study said 69% of employees are are not not engaged. Right. Now, out of the ones that are engaged, they – they won't give something like 40% of their true essence to the company. That's, that's like a big deal. You, everybody mm-hmm. should be going because to get the very best out of people is to give them a trusting. That doesn't yourself to be a doormat or mm-hmm. create a simplified for people to just really be able to bring up do it and love what they do. Hey, Brad, sorry to interrupt here. We're just a little bit choppy, so I got some of what you just last said. I'm just yeah. wondering, sometimes you're very crystal clear, and I just don't want the listening audience to lose out on the context or the content of the conversation. So, yeah, I, I just want to make Okay. So, you know, I'd be interested to know, as I'm sure listeners are as well, what do you believe is the biggest problem facing most organizations today in 2017? 
I believe they still have not figured out how to work in the 21st century, and they're just giving it lip service in order to keep millennials uh, at the company. Mm-hmm. So, and it's because not plan out any more than three months ahead now. When you hear these people saying, oh, you have to give a five-year projection, they can't do that anymore because business is being disrupted at such a level. You have new applications coming out that allow you to order everything on your smartphone. You have Amazon growing bigger and bigger. Uh, you have companies from all over the world that are now starting to compete with American companies that dominated for years. And this is all happening very, very quickly. And I've worked with companies that are really big that have done everything right to keep millennials and all the millennials get up and leave. And they're going, but, but we did everything that we thought we were supposed to be. Mm-hmm. What me is it's not part of their core mission. It's lip service. It's just what they're they're doing to placate this next generation instead of engaging this next generation. And because they haven't figured out millennials yet, guess what they're doing? They're now focusing on Generation Z, the next generation after them. They're teenagers. Why are you talking about them? Why are you analyzing every buying pattern they have? Why are you telling us they're entering the workforce? They're 17, 15, they're 12. Why are you, why? Because Mm -hmm. they out millennials yet wow and so and so where's the rationale or the justification on their end to bypass one complete generation thinking they're going to get it sorted out with the ones uh on their heels because they're still using lisa they're still using the same methodologies that the military used for 100 years where when you yell at somebody and you push them you get a certain amount of productivity out of them so they're still looking at bubble are buckets to drop things into in an eight-hour day. And they don't know what to do when a, a new generation of worker comes along that doesn't obey them. So if you can't get obedience, you throw your hands up and then you hire a couple of experts and they send you a bunch of charts and graphs and say, well, we've got them. Millennials don't want to buy homes, but they do want to do this. That doesn't answer any of your questions. It's a behavioral question. It's a very different way of approaching life. Um, they've, studies have found out that Gen X and Millennials do not want leadership positions, and the reason they don't want them is they want a work-life balance that they can live with. Now, what are you going to do with that if you're a company you're stepping forward and you're used to that person who makes $120,000 a year putting in an 80-hour work week? What do you going to do with that when that no longer works yeah so that's what i help companies with (laughs) well you know that's an interesting segue because oftentimes and and one of our mutual colleagues and friends Doug baron we've talked about balance we've talked about does it even exist and i'd be interested to know from your opinion uh and perspective brad do you believe that the the work-life balance actually exists or do you think that's just another catchphrase i think it can exist uh, and Dove is a good friend of mine. I've, I've known Dove over 13 years, and we've, we've talked about this a lot. Uh, and I think it's, it's uh, as Dove would say, it's bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, what it is is millennials grew up watching their parents kill themselves working hard. They mm-hmm. may not 
said it to their face, but they turned around and they said, you know, Billy, follow your passion. Don't do what mommy and daddy did. We worked for this corporation our whole lives, and when we went to retire, and right around 2008, we lost everything. And millennials looked at the giant home, and they looked at all the things that were paid for by mom and dad, and they disconnected from it on many, many levels. And they said, you know, I don't want to do that. They had a great relationship with their parents. Most millennials consider their parents their friends or their mentors. Mm-hmm. And if I had told that to my dad right now, he is rolling in his grave. <laughs> I, father, I am not your friend. When I right. stop, you say how high. Maybe when you're 35, I'll find you interesting enough to have a beer with you. Until then, get your work clothes on. <laughs> and I was like eight or nine when he said that to me. And, and get that, your hands out of your pockets while you're at it. Yeah, get your hands out of your pockets. What do you do? <laughs> and then, my dad's favorite phrase was, uh, there were two favorite phrases. I would say, hey, Dad, I want to build a stage in my bedroom so I can put my drum set, uh, uh, you know, there. And, you know, like I have my own, uh, you know, little bandstand. And he's like, what the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> and then the second one is like, uh, I think I came home one day and I said, hey, Dad, you're supposed to listen to everything I say. And he goes, and I told him it was child-centric parenting. And he goes, you know something, son? That's a load of crap. You know, <laughs> that's another favorite phrase. So you should see me getting a corporate audience to all chant in unison. That's a load of crap. You know, it's funny. So funny. Awesome. Awesome stuff. So why don't you tell us a little bit, because I'm really chomping at the bit to find out a little bit about uh, what Tony Robbins sought you out to do last summer. So how did this come to be, and did you know each other prior to that? No, not at all. It was very interesting. This goes back to 2014. It's very funny. You never know who you're going to meet on this road. And uh, what happened is if uh, a friend of a friend reached out to me on LinkedIn and said, hey, Brad, uh, I see we're both authors. Uh, why don't we connect? And that was Brian Matamore. And Brian and I are uh, starting to chat, and we start to realize we've known each other for over 15 years, and my wife knows friends of his wife and all this, and we've just never met because he's always on the road. And Brian has written like three or four New York Times bestsellers. So we have lunch. He's asked me what I do. I said, I help companies with millennials. He goes, let me introduce you to Todd Churches and Steve Churches. And guess what? They have a company called Big Blue Gumball. This is a long, long story. I'm going to try and make it short. But guess what? They bring me into this company called LiquidNet. And I meet Jeff um, Schwartzman. And he sits and says to me, we just had a bunch of millennials leave. We need you to do some workshops on millennials. So they helped me put together uh, through my book, it was very funny. LiquidNet has my book, Liquid Leadership, on the shelves of their in-house university. Wow. And so we're sitting there, and I put together these three-part workshops. We did all three of them. And then they said, you know what? But we'd like you. We think you'd be a great hit up at the Silver Bay Leadership Forum, which is the longest-running leadership group uh, in the country. It's going on 100 years next year. So – I go up, and I give this presentation, and we just have a great time. And what is fun is there were a couple of people in the audience like, oh, yeah, great. He's going to talk about millennials. He's going to trash it. (laughs) 
already hate this guy. He's a jerk. <laughs> so after the first break, those guys up to me going, oh, man, I can't believe you did that. That was amazing. And so we connected. And after that, I got like four or five connections and a couple of gigs from that. But I didn't realize there was a, a buddy of mine uh, who had done all the video work, Rich Cooper. Uh, I had been up to his house uh, uh, after that event and had a you know, wine and broke bread with him and his wife. I didn't know this, but uh, Rich used to work with Tony Robbins doing his security. And wow. Then, Tony reached out to him. They had dinner on Tony's jet, and Tony basically said, who do you know that can do this, this, and this? And one of them was millennials, and the other was ideation sessions. And uh, my friend Rich just recommended Brian and uh, for ideation and recommended me for millennials. Amazing. And it was crazy. There was a second part to this. I had put in my application for a TEDx talk, and last summer, just before Memorial Day began, I got back uh, that I got the TEDx talk, and an hour later, I got an email from Tony Robbins, <laughs> could you do the webinar? And I said, honey, we got to play the lottery, because this is amazing. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So wow. It's all connections. Everything in business is word of mouth. Yes. Somebody there may have seen you do something astounding or extraordinary, and they're going to turn around and they're going to recommend you to somebody. So always be on your best. Bring your A game. Always be ready because you never know. Well, I totally agree with that, Brad. You and I are connected through Facebook and maybe a few other social media outlets, but, you know, you know, you understand. I mean, you got to put yourself out there. If you don't put yourself out there, the people that you're intending and wanting to connect with you for the purpose of getting your message out there to the collective, if you believe in yourself and you understand your brand and you understand your purpose, well, people are people are otherwise going to know you even exist if you choose to play a small game. Well, this is a really great example. Uh, years ago, before I had written Liquid Leadership and I was doing any of this work, uh, a friend called me in at a company called Right Management, and Right Management is uh, it's sort of a, a it's a series of offices that have been set up for executives in the publishing industry that have been let go and need to find a new job. So it's a transitory place, it's a training place, it's all these things to help executives and upper management find employment within the publishing industry. So every uh, week, they would have a town hall meeting on a Wednesday. And me and my buddy, Richard Carey, uh, we were asked to do this town hall meeting about personal branding. And, mm -hmm. and this is like 2004, 2005, and around there, Lisa. Brilliant. And, and we're sitting there, and and you can see the executives attended, but they really didn't want to attend. And they were slumped over in their chairs. They had suits on. And they announced... Richard, and Richard has taught at Harvard, and they kind of went, oh, okay. So that the ears cocked a little. As soon as they said, I took my company public on NASDAQ in an IPO, everybody sat up, took their books out, and, and uh, pulled out line paper and pens and sat forward. And there's the power of your resume, the power of your bio. Mm -hmm. But here's what happened in this two-hour workshop. Very what? few of them and they were all boomers, mm -hmm. very few of them really saw the need 
to create a personal brand online. And I said, people are Google. You walk out of that interview, they're Googling your name. And if you don't have some sort of presence mm-hmm. online, you're done for. Yes. You're going to go to the bottom of the pack. And so I've worked with exactly this stage. I people who want to become celebrities in this circle. Uh, it's really important. Important, and it goes all the way back to 1996 when Tom Peters wrote that article for Fast Company. The the it, it, many of you may even know this article, but it's the brand called you. And just Google that, look it up. But the mm-hmm. brand called you. We are in the age of you being a personality, a personal brand, and a lot of boomers are still resisting this because they're like, "Well, I'm a chemistry teacher. Why does that matter?" It does matter because back when we were growing. Up, you had to earn your celebrity. Today, you have to have some sort of presence on the internet, whether it's articles about you, whether you've been in the press, whether you have video. You've got to have something because people are just not going to be that interested if you're going for the job and you don't have a presence. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. So what do you say to Brad? Because uh, what do you say to this? Because, you know, there's two schools of thought and it doesn't necessarily fall into a certain age demographic of who's inclined to think this. I see a mishmash across the board, but some people will arguably say, even on social media, they will say, you know, it's not about the followers. It's, it's, you know, it doesn't matter how many people actually like your page. And, and some people will say, and, and some of the likes and the followers are not even organic. Like, what, what would you say to that? I agree. Uh, because I, I made the mistake back in the beginning on Twitter. I think I have something like uh, 4,000 followers on two Twitter accounts, and I realized I let everybody in the gate. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I look for quality. Mm-hmm. What are we connected to? What do we have in common? Uh, even on my LinkedIn page, I probably have way too many people, but what happens is if somebody sees me in a keynote, I connect with them. If mm-hmm. somebody has... Uh, maybe read my book and they reach out to me and we connect it's very organic and the more clutter you have with people who really should not be in your network uh the harder it is for people to find you um right there are some people i see who only have 500 followers and you can see this this is usually executives because of the vetting process but if you have 500 truly qualified leads that are following you and care about you know, like, and trust you, that is much better than having 10,000 followers that have no idea what you do. Very true. Very true. But, again, going back to your initial point, it's still important to have visibility. And we also know that for anybody that you're hopefully looking to connect with or align with in the business world, the first thing they'll do based on their reputation and their brand is they will check your social media footprint. Yeah. So it, from that perspective, I think it, there is something to be said about how many people follow you in ter- and, and consistently in all different uh, aspects of your platforms because, you know, that's what leads to people going, okay, there's some credibility here or, you know, this person is well-known and they'll make my job easier because they obviously believe in themselves that they're going to hustle, hustle, hustle. Yes. You so, got it. Yeah. <laughs> 
But, you know, we, we're, we're approaching the bottom of the hour. We've got about 15 minutes left. It always goes way too fast here, Brad. But um, I would really love to hear a few things from you. So, one, what would you say to listeners who struggle with the whole concept of what it is to live fearlessly? They hear what you say and what you do for a living and, and your success. They, they see that I'm the one who's interviewing you on my own radio show. They don't quite know how to navigate. They don't know how to get unstuck. They don't know how to necessarily deprogram from the way that your dad's generation used to think, and, and these are the people they're still immersed with and taking advice from. So what would you say to people who are listening right now in terms of getting unstuck? I want you to write down the thing that scares the hell out of you. Yes! <laughs> and I'll tell you what, my, back in the 90s, when I left K2, I, I was just tired of working 95 hours a week. I was uh, burnout, to say the least. During the day, I started a little e-commerce site, uh, you know, I would build build websites for people, but uh, and I would sit on the board of directors for K2. But I was just I was fried. I had done 90 hour work weeks for five straight years, and so I decided I found that we had something in the New York and it was around the country at the time called the Learning Annex, and somebody was offering stand up comedy classes, <laughs> and I thought everybody says I'm really funny and I do impersonations, and I said, ah, let me try this. Well, I was so petrified of that, Lisa. They had three <laughs> classes they were offering, and I took the one that was way out in October, you know. So <laughs> uh, I finally showed up to that, and it turned out that the coach who was teaching it, he used to be a professional stand-up comedian and a New York cabbie, and he was almost seven feet tall, Tim Davis. Wow. And when he started teaching, I just, this wasn't comedy. This was business 101. He talked about sharing versus selling. Uh, he talked about how you you know you have to win the audience over and how you do that, rapport, things like this. And I took notes and I practiced, and I was petrified. I, I think the first time I stood up in front of an audience to do comedy for five minutes, I think I did like forty five different impersonations. I just I couldn't slow down. Age, <laughs> I did a show, I did a second show. And Tim was the manager of uh, Stand Up New York, and uh, one day I came in and I performed, and he just ran into the room as I'm coming off stage. He goes, oh, my God, you've gotten so much better. And if you know Tim, he's he's almost seven feet tall, and he has these giant hands, and mm -hmm. he just out to grab me. It's very terrifying. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm 5'8", so I'm just like, ah, don't hurt me. And he, <laughs> hand, and he goes, you should be doing this for a living. I said, okay, so I I committed to doing stand-up comedy classes, and I started going on the road, and I actually opened uh, for Lisa Lampanelli at one point, uh, and, uh, which was kind of rough, because if you know her act, it's all insult comedy, and I don't do that. Right. Uh, but and what it did is, probably one of the best experiences that I had, I opened for Tom Rhodes, uh, who used to be on MTV, I opened for him for about a week down in the, at the Baltimore Comedy Factory. And what comedy did for me was it broke me out of this shell because I grew up in a small town. It had to be perfect. You had to say everything perfect and you had to act perfect and all this. And this is in our subconscious. Mm -hmm. And the first time I went on stage in a professional comedy club, uh, my throat got dry. My palms got sweaty. I got almost the shakes. And you want to know something? I took it upon myself to say to my body, my physical body and my mind, that is a natural state 
for what I'm about to do. Mm-hmm. And within a minute, you calm down on stage. But what happened is uh, it got me out of this perfection paradigm. It broke me of uh, worrying about what uh, the audience thought. It perfected my performance abilities, and it got me to write that material. And I was a professional comedian for eight years Wow. People are almost like, well, how did you go from a C-level executive of a publicly traded company <laughs> to becoming a stand-up comedian? Let me tell you, getting burned out will do that to you. I bet. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're I'm, quite you're quite diverse, Brad, and I love that about you. And I'm sure that's what makes you truly relatable to so many different people and so many, you know, people who fall under the umbrella of being in different walks of life and different paths and journeys. Because you know, you've you've endeavored by be, by choosing to live fearlessly. You've endeavored to do a lot of different things yep. that would connect you with so many different people. So oh, yeah. be, before we head out here, where can people find you? Where can people find your book? Where can people find any upcoming engagements? How can they connect with you on? social media just uh you can go to my website which is liquidleadership.com uh or you can send me an email at brad at liquidleadership.com uh or just google me and and some of the things i've done and uh i'm always available you know, reach out uh i actually had a um a company actually the federal government reached out to me recently last march and the guy uh told his peers he spoke to me on the phone and everybody went what you you spoke to the author of that book on the phone and he's like yeah what's the big deal um you know it's that's that's how i approach life it's like we're here to have a conversation a game-changing conversation and if i stand in this lofty perch we're not going to have a conversation are we so <laughs> i'm a very true guy. very true so what would you say is your number one secret to success brad Go with the flow and adapt. Uh, mm-hmm. I used to think success looked like a particular picture. Mm-hmm. And when I started to lead, let that go and say, you know, I have no idea what being a multimillionaire looks like, or I have no idea what being an Internet entrepreneur looks like. Let it go and let it happen and go with the flow and adapt at each level. That's when things started to move faster and change for me. Mm-hmm. And once you accept uh, uh, being able to go with that flow, you let go of the fear a little bit. Replace that fear with passion and love for what you're doing. And it's a simple balancing act. As soon as you feel fear, replace it with energized love and passion for what you are doing, the process of what you're doing and what you're trying to achieve. Fantastic. Awesome stuff. Well, we've got about four minutes left to go, so I would be very interested to know what's next on the horizon for you. What should we be following? What's upcoming? Well, a uh, new book, probably doing a podcast uh, uh, soon. Uh, Yoo-hoo! Yeah, and I'm uh, thinking of launching an agency to help people with uh, executives and doctors and people who really want to have uh, become thought leaders and create a personal brand online, getting people launched, getting their books out. Because uh, over the past year and a half, I've been part of a publishing team and we have put out nine bestsellers uh, over the past uh, 16 months. Uh, wow. It's really phenomenal. One, uh, several of the authors, uh, I, I did a millennial edition book of Journeys to Success, and many of those authors have now taken their business to a whole of Amazing. 
Amazing, Brad. You're, you're just, you know what, you're cutting out here, but I actually have so that, to say. Yeah, go ahead. I just wanted to say, uh, given that we're truly at the bottom of the hour, I just and I would love to have you back at a later time, Brad. And if this business, and no doubt it will get launched, and I'm sure it's going to go vertical like everything else that, that happens with what you endeavor to do, we'd love to have you back and talk about the next uh, segment of your journey uh, and share all that yumminess with our listeners. So I just want to say, Brad, once again, thanks you for the gift of your time. I want to say congratulations on all your hard-earned, well-deserved success. Uh, I follow you very closely. You know you're quite stellar in the industry, and uh, Vibe attracts tribe. So I want to thank you for being part of my Vibe and, and, and uh, tribe and letting me into yours. So I just want to say to the listening audience, thank you once again for taking time out of your schedule to join us here live on the, the Contact Talk Radio Network. Again, this is Lisa McDonald, host of Living Fearlessly. I look forward to touching base back here next Friday with another phenomenal guest. And I just want to say thank you so much for being a regular podcast subscriber and loyal listener. Uh, we're now hovering here at over 265,000 podcast subscribers to Living Fearlessly. Anywhere you can find a podcast being uploaded, good chances we're there. Uh, so I want to say thank you. I want to wish everybody my best. I want to encourage you to live fearlessly and love and gratitude to all of you. Take care and all my best. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Living Fearlessly with your host, Lisa McDonald. Visit her at lisamcdonaldauthor.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.